Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Gabrielle Bernstein. Gabby is an American motivational speaker, life coach, and New York Times bestselling author of The Universe Has Your Back, Transform Your Fear to Faith, and Super Attractor, Methods for Manifesting a Life Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. She teaches primarily from the text A Course in Miracles on the practical application of self-love, forgiveness, and how to have a holistic approach to spirituality. On the 1st of January, Gabby is leading a 21-day manifesting challenge where you can discover how to act in alignment with the energy of the universe and allow good things to flow to you easily and naturally link to waitlist gabbybernstein.com forward slash manifesting challenge slash waitlist or dash waitlist i read that out do i yeah yeah i mean you could say if you want to join the waitlist maybe oh link to waitlist (laughs) um did you listen to that well i've spoke gary she's a very kind and brilliant person but let's have some comments um from the ed stafford episode Carus Blanco. Oh, I love Ed Stafford. The Naked in the Wild show he did was freaking awesome. He's an absolute legend. Pratyeka Buddha one. Pratyeka Buddha one. I think there's no way I'd want to go walking around the Amazon. So I'm glad there's people like him who are willing or even excited to do it and speak about it in an engaging fashion. Yeah, it is nice, isn't it? But when we've got got to do a lot of things. When are we ever going to do anything? When are we going to learn to play some instruments and get some things done and learn some languages? I know people that speak 10 languages. When am I going to speak 10 languages? Never. Did you see the hermit crabs known (laughs) of the parasite of the sea? No. That's what they're known as. They're known as the... they, They steal from the other crabs. They infect. I saw a video of a toucan trying to get into a box of donuts. Well, how ingenious. They failed. They refuse to be <laughs> held down. Um, Nessie J. I love this. He's open. He's honest. He resonates. Thank you. Alfredo Baker. Listen to it at work today. So a lot, all of you enjoyed Ed. And I enjoy Ed too. Ed's going to be a necessary part of... I mean, God, are we going to... What are we going to do? Are we seriously going to... Well, we've not learned how to play instruments. We've not learned how to play. I can play instruments. What can you play? Guitar. Oh, come on, Jen. Don't tell such foul lies. Where is it? It's at home. Right. I've convenient. got four guitars. All right, well, <laughs> have you? And I, yeah, I can play a bit of piano too. That piano in your house? Yeah. Who are you? A hermit crab. <laughs> you are, aren't you? All right. The fact is, the point of this podcast, if I've not explained it clearly to you before, is to try to see if somehow we can, under the watchful gaze of our oppressors, somehow contrive new and meaningful ways to organise our lives, perhaps predicated on a spiritual, and don't be scared of that word, that simply means loving and kind and compassionate and, and awake, perhaps on a spiritual basis, as opposed to a materialist basis, although, you know, there's a lot of good things about material. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying... Like, even if you've got someone who's a really dedicated, say, Bruce Willis fan. A dedicated Bruce Willis. All they think about is Die Hard, Die Harder, or Bruce-related phenomena. They still perhaps don't love Bruce as much as they love their own cat or their own mother. Do any of us really care about this culture? This bizarre culture embalming our brains with dumbness? Do any of us truly... Say, Jen, if you heard that... Right, do you go to McDonald's anymore? I went uh, once <laughs> this year. Did you like it? Oh, what, no. What, did you have the milkshake? No, I just got some chips to make Rest sure you. it was okay. If you heard that that <laughs> McDonald's, where did you go? Uh, it's uh, on the on the A47. <laughs> oh, McDonald's on the old A47. It's a good one. If you've heard that the, 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 the McDonald's on the A47 have got a new manager... Would you be really, really excited or would you say no. it probably won't make that much difference? It's still basically McDonald's. Yeah, I wouldn't care. Yeah, I don't they care. Could, it could close down, I wouldn't care. <laughs> You're the wrong person to ask. I'm just saying, basically, if McDonald's gets a new manager, it's not, the last manager at McDonald's, I think, was a racist. Well, it's probably good that you've got a non-racist McDonald's manager. That's that's good. But are you still going to be selling fries, <laughs> burgers, milkshakes? 
Cool. It's not going to be that different, man. All right. So um, make sure to sign up to my mailing list on russellbrand.com. Check out my YouTube channel. We're going to do like a news roundup type video. That's what we're doing, isn't it? We've just been discussing it now. And of course, sort of storytelling and I suppose just trying to work things out. And of course, we're doing the new episode, Ask Me Anything, where you interview me. To get involved, simply go to russellbrand.com forward slash ask me anything and record a voice message with your question. We've not advertised this anywhere else, so it's actually only open to podcast listeners. So yeah, go there and go, Russell, how do you reckon, like, you know, you can ask a really personal question. Like, I'm worried about my dog. It's going to be on the podcast, so if it is really personal, if you've got a series of skin tags say and you're wondering what to do about them then just to use a false name yeah but your voice might be recognizable disguise your voice <laughs> like i got a series of skin tags <laughs> like you could say and then i'll help you deal with that no you this is not the type of podcast <laughs> actually i don't really know much about skin tags i'd probably just sort of get them removed if they're bothering you that's not that i just want, now that you have I've had a skin tag removed and it was it was, it was no big was deal. Was it because of too much sun? No, I just didn't like it. I had one on my chest and I had... Well, I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> but the fact was, they're gone now. And I wish I'd been allowed to keep them in a jar. No. No? I'd like to keep things in no. a jar. No. Teeth. Testes. Oh, yeah. Not from the animal you, kingdom. Yeah, yeah I've got to kept out. mine kept hold of those guys why not you never know you never ever know um all right and if you want to get in touch yeah so do that ask me a question it could be about anything you want to know about and i'll try my best to answer it try and keep it between you know 30 seconds or something like that 60 seconds max all right let's go over to there now go and do it record your question just go hello i'm jason uh i've got a colleague at work who i actually find quite difficult they lie a lot um they say they can play four guitars well no one can. It can't be done. <laughs> Not at the same time. <laughs> right. Aha. Jason. We're getting closer to the truth. All right. So remember, sign up to russellbrand.com to get a promo. I'm going to start doing little videos for you again. We do fundraising live gigs next. My actual live gigs are cancelled, so I'll do some more Zoom gigs to raise money for food banks, drug charities, hospices, people who need it in this weird world we live in now. Let's listen to the wonderful Gabby Bernstein who I know does a great deal to help people, who's a kind, faithful and honest human. Here she is. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Gabby, thanks for coming on Under the Skin. I'm really happy to be here. I've been wanting to come on. I'm a big fan of the show. And uh, I also feel like we have so much to talk about. You're one of those people that I'm like, I really want to talk to you and I want to just get into it. So I'm psyched to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. How are you feeling? Where are you in America at the moment? I'm just outside. I'm two hours north of New York City. I live part-time in the city, part-time in the countryside. And I've been in the country since March. And uh, I'm in a bubble. I'm one of those, I'm trying to get pregnant. So I'm one of those people that's, I'm treating myself as high risk and I don't go anywhere. I'm a big loser. I feel like a bit of a loser and I feel really bummed out because I'm a very social woman. So not being able to hug people makes me, uh, I mean, I can hug my husband and my child, but it's been a bummer. It's a big bummer. How are you, how does the current situation both in terms of the pandemic and the kind of political division in your country in particular we're recording this sort of on the eve of the election how do you view it through the prism of a sort of spirituality that your work is defined by i've been blessed to be the witness of a lot of awakening this year. Uh, I too, I'm a sober woman. I've been sober 15 years and I've had many bottoms throughout my life. And I've had the blessing of witnessing those bottoms as the catalyst for my greatest awakenings. 
And I've seen that for a lot of people who may not have been blessed with that type of bottom before. Lots of people haven't had their comforts taken away from them, haven't been forced into the experience of feeling out of control, or uh, maybe just never dealt with it, right? Maybe they hit a bottom in their own unique ways, but they never dealt with it. So I've witnessed a lot of people on their own personal growth, spiritual path waking up right now. And so while it is a really challenging time, I see it as a awesome moment in time as well for the those of us who choose to grow right now. How, how can this be an opportunity for growth? Oh, there's, there's countless opportunities for growth right now. The, the, here, let's start with the fact that whenever our comforts, our creature comforts are taken from us, it gives us the opportunity to either numb out more, there's two choices, right? We can numb out more, we can turn to the drink, the drugs, the sex, the work, whatever it is that we use to numb out, or we can say, this is an opportunity to redirect. This obstacle is a detour in the right direction. I can use this time to get stronger. I can use this discomfort that I'm in to practice whatever principles I need to practice and develop to feel better. And so there's two choices we could have made. And I think anyone listening, anyone watching you right now definitely is on the path of the choice to feel better. I don't think you'd be here watching this right now if there wasn't a desire to go big, a desire to grow. So it starts there, right? It starts with that choice. But you know, if you do have more time developed, if you have, if you're home more, use that time wisely. Use that time to get grounded in a meditative practice, to focus on your inner, your inner well-being, to maybe do more creative practices that you never were able to do before. I'm seeing that happen a lot. I mean, personally, I can speak to it, right? I've, I, my personal growth journey has been radically elevated in this time. Do you mean, do you mean that you're meditating more, that you're doing more service? How, 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 how specifically, Gabby, has um, your practice been enhanced by this condition? Okay, Russell, here we go. So I've been, I've been like on personal growth throwdown lately. So, so when everything started to get kicked up in, in March, I started, you know, I, I have enough spiritual awareness and personal growth awareness to recognize, okay, you know, little Gabby is terrified right now. Little Gabby's running her business. Little Gabby's trying to be in control. So instead of uh, letting that little Gabby, that 10 year old part of myself run the show, I started to really reclaim my ability to uh, go deeper in my personal growth. So I started doing three therapy sessions a week. And I recognize that's not something that everyone has the privilege of being able to do, but I'm taking advantage of that privilege right now. So I started practicing somatic experiencing therapy, EMDR, I took to another level. Um, and then I also practice IFS therapy, which is internal family systems. And then I started to have this desire to learn more about the practices that I was applying in my own life. And I took an IFS training, which I'm super, super psyched to talk about if you want to talk about that. And I'm learning more and more about this internal family systems. And then with that, I started a meditation practice. They think you might dig. Okay. So this is a practice that I named rage on the page. Okay. So what I, I've studied some of the work of Dr. John Sarno. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sarno's work. He wrote this book called uh, How to Heal Back Pain, which was a really big book. You know it, you know it. And it was, it's all about how our physical conditions are a psychosomatic condition. And around the early days of COVID, I was having trouble sleeping and I was noticing really severe jaw tension. My TMJ was coming back. So I had a, I actually was on a podcast interview with my girlfriend who, who is a practitioner of the Sarno work. And she recommended this journaling exercise where you journal for 20 minutes with all of your rage and all your impermissible fears, and you get all the shit out onto the page and then you meditate for 20 minutes. And so I started doing that every single day, but I took it even further. And I started listening to binaural music at the same time, because I love the bilateral stimulation, because for me, it, uh, well, I, I practice EMDR. So a lot of the EMDR work is about uh, opening up the uh, your brain's capacity to be uh, a little bit more resilient when it comes to processing things. And so the bilateral music does that for you as well. 
Could you just explain? Um, so these are some like some of these techniques are I, I reckon uh, like uh, esoteric for some of our listeners. Um, like I, I I know what EDMR is. It's where you sort of watch a sort of a light crossing a screen while thinking about some traumatic event. Um, and 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 you're saying that the um, that the other thing, the binaural music, I've listened to that sometimes, and I see on YouTube that, and I, I have this um, sort of some device as well that plays me those things and stimulates stuff. But what what what, what is the thinking behind it? Why? What, and and it seems like you know you mentioned somatic as well that you're very interested in sort of embodied forms of therapy. And that's what it seems like you're saying. Yeah, I'm at that stage of my recovery, right? So I think that. In all of our own stages of development, we eventually get to the body. And that's where I'm at at the moment. I feel like I'm absolutely addressing the, the somatic experience. But I do want to unpack what these different modalities are because these are practices that are available to people through online, uh, through you know Zoom therapy or whatever it is. And I want people to find them now because the practices I'm mentioning have not only really saved my life, but they've been really getting me through the stressors of this time. So um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing is excellent for PTSD, which means it's excellent for anybody right now. Because anyone that's alive right now is you know, has the potential for some serious PTSD given the circumstances that we're living in. You know, sending your kid to school with a mask on. Like, I mean, come on, that's that's terrifying. And so uh we when you practice EMDR, you're holding uh a buzzer in either hand, or like you said, Russell, you've got somebody doing eye movement back and forth, or the binaural beats, which is listening to music that has stimulates either side of, you know, it's like music here, music there, and it comes in and out. And what it does is it's bilateral brain stimulation, and that unlocks the amygdala's fight flight response. And it allows for dissociated memories to be processed and reprocessed in a more gentle way than just a memory coming up and exploding in you know in your consciousness so uh and it's and it's a really valuable technique and for so what happens is you talk about whatever is going on whatever the emotional disturbance is while you have this bilateral stimulation and so i was doing that with the journaling and it's been it's been a lifesaver it's been a game changer you're still like you're like like me then I suppose that you say that your recovery is an ongoing process that that my oh, sort of spiritual journey is still defined you know on a daily basis by experiences of fear sadness anger you know I've talked to people sometimes and I feel like oh wow they've actually they've broke on through to the other side you know like Eckhart Tolle or you know I don't talk to them that bloody often to be honest because I think they're rare but you're still in the mud with me are you dealing with like rage and stuff like that oh yeah I I but I'm grateful for it because the uncomfortable parts of myself continue to reveal to me what it is that I can heal and because I have the willingness much like you unapologetic willingness to continue to get to feel better and feel better and feel better I don't see the discomfort as a sentence. I see it as a opportunity to go deeper. Now, at this moment in time, I'm in a really good spot. I feel really good. I'm at the best place I've ever been in my life. I've never felt better. The work is paying off. The promises are coming true. I feel closer to freedom than I've ever felt. But it you know, but this moment in time came from a real, a real difficult time a year ago, a real bottom a year ago, when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and postpartum insomnia and anxiety and was at a place where I was here. I was this author had written eight spiritual self-help books and I wanted, I was, had suicidal thoughts. Mm. My first taste of mental illness but to get to the point of what you're asking, I can go back and look at that experience in my life and say, thank you, because what that bottom gave me was another awakening, another opportunity to get to the place where I am today, where I'm so deep in the therapeutic processes that I'm safe enough to go deeper, to face the body stuff, to face the EMDR stuff, to go into a, a greater healing journey. So Gabby, you see pain in 
the, its various forms as a kind of invitation to let go or to travel more deeply into a spiritual process, which I guess is the same as saying that the in your from your perspective, the spiritual world is increasingly everything, and there sort of your worldview is kind of built around an acceptance that all material things are transient and transitory and anything material that we're invested in will ultimately decay and die and that if we're if if we're if we're dependent on anything impermanent for happiness we're going to suffer and the only way to transcend that is to increase spiritual practice in response to the level of pain that you're feeling Yes. And when, when I today refer to spiritual practice, it's different than a year or two ago. And I, and I've been teaching for 15 years, but when I would refer to spiritual practice, I'm going to admit something on this podcast that I've never admitted before. Okay. And I said it out loud the other night to, uh, to, uh, a mutual friend, you probably, your, your friend, a mutual friend of ours. I said, I said the other night that I realized in real time that a lot of the work that I had been doing personally and professionally, because I was always teaching from my own experience, was a lot of spiritual bypassing, was using my spiritual practice as another form of getting out of the feeling. Uh. Okay, I'm, I'm literally admitting this in real time right here, right now. And I'm kind of only really accepting it and also thanking it, right? Because we are where we're at when we're where we're at. That's just what's up. We don't, we can't be, and we can't be anywhere that we're not. So whatever that was, was extremely valuable. It supported a lot of people. It got me here, but it's not where I'm, it's not what I want to keep doing. I know what you mean. It's like sometimes I feel like when I say I want to become enlightened, what I'm really saying is I want to feel nice. I don't want to feel discomfort, you know, and often, yeah, like, like because I come from a 12-step background rather than like, you know, sort of a materialist or neurochemical, I consider that there's information in pain, that pain is primarily information. And that's not to say I would forego or advise anyone that's, you know, being diagnosed with a mental health issue not to take prescribed medication, for example. But what I'm saying is, is that for me, pain is I'm being told something by pain. And I suppose what you're um, unpacking for us is the idea that previously some of the spiritual techniques you've used have been about avoiding or bypassing as opposed to sort of going through and learning from suffering. Yeah. And I think that, and like I said, that's cool. That's okay. That's okay. Because I, I, I really honor and respect, you know, anyone that has been using their spiritual foundation or their spiritual practice as a way of not picking up a drink or as a way of, as a way of uh, doing the best they can in the moment, because some of the discomfort, the pain that you're referring to is just way too, too, too tough to face or acknowledge even because rooted in it is shame. Right. And so it's so painful that spirituality is a, another form of relief for, for many of us. Yeah. But what my spiritual practice has given me is uh, what I believe and what I refer to as, as a universal guidance system that has led me every single step of the way to get to the place that I'm at now in this moment, where I can go deeper, where I can start to work on a neurological level, where I can start to work on a somatic level, where I can start to unpack the, the, the neural programming that has kept me in systems that have not served me. But I don't think that that is in any way separate from the spiritual path that I have been on. Because let me just unpack this for you. I believe in, I believe in spirit guides. I believe in uh, that, that every single action in our life is being guided, especially when we allow ourselves to receive that guidance. And so I don't think that any of the experiences that have gotten me to this moment have been in any way out of alignment with a bigger, a bigger vision for, for, for where I wanted to be. And so I've allowed that guidance to 
help me in those moments of crisis and help guide me to the psychiatrist that I might need to get the therapeutic support or to the yoga mat when I needed it or to the 12 step meeting when I was ready for it or whatever it was. You following what I'm saying? I'm really esoteric at the moment. I know your listeners can handle it, <laughs> but I, but I want to be able to recognize that they don't, they do go hand in hand. Yeah. I recognize that one thing and I do what I want to learn more about each of the um, methods and techniques that you've mentioned and, and hopefully experience some of those techniques uh, under your guidance in the podcast if that's something you're amenable to Gabby I have this question though that um that I think about myself a lot that some people think that new age spiritualism is a kind of continuation of the egocentric individualism that has kind of preceded it that much of the kind of altruism philanthropy and sort of uh what do i want to say desire for social change that was allied to the sort of origins of the new age shall we say in the 60s that kind of east meets west moment perhaps best demonstrated by the relationship between george harrison and uh, like ravi shankar and the maharishi come in and prabhupada and you know, like all that, that sort of transition when your country, America, sort of became host to the, all these Eastern mystical traditions, even though I guess a century earlier a comparable thing happened in Europe. Um, do you feel that those of us that are in pursuit of this kind of, uh, you know, let's call it self-betterment, spiritual enlightenment, whatever, have a kind of an obligation to somehow uh, connect our personal growth to service uh, as is commonly understood in 12-step ideology, which I, I know you're familiar with? Or do you think somehow there's something about spirituality separate from the kind of narrative of the West that is um, fixated on the individual and the freedom of the individual and the rights of the individual and the individual's identity that, that is, has always been somewhat like monastic and separate from secular life how do we marry together these ideas gabby so that so that uh, sort of all this work we're doing on ourselves isn't just another form of gratification comparable as you said to the kind of uh, avoidance that you recognize and i certainly identified with that uh, that had characterized some of your earlier spiritual work there's so much i want to say to that so um well i always say that i believe that if that we don't have a spiritual part of our life that it's that we have to live a spiritual life which means that when you're taking the splinter out of your daughter's foot or whatever it was this morning, that in that moment, it's you connecting energetically, right? It's not just, oh, okay, I have to do this task so I can get back to work, right? right. Or, or as you uh, sh show up to a new encounter, you show up with the God within you, not just you know, I got to, you know, get this podcast done, right? So as we start to develop our own spiritual condition, my hope would be if you are not using your spiritual practice as another way to get high or another way to avoid, and you're really allowing it to infiltrate your being and affect your actions and your motivations and intentions in life, that inevitably you are going to be called to do more service. Inevitably, you're going to be called to be a kinder, more compassionate, more, uh, more energized being because, because that alignment is changing you. And it's changing you on a molecular level. So if you're really in the space of allowing your spiritual practice, whatever that may be, to really touch you in a way that you feel an inner shift, then there's no way that you could not show up for the world in a, in a greater presence. There's no way. Yeah. So you feel that there's, in a sense, there are no barriers between these spaces that it becomes like in the 12th step in like 12 step philosophy that we practice these principles in all our affairs that all of our endeavors are directed at bringing about a more loving and mutually beneficial solution to whatever the situation is and i i do tr like earlier in my recovery i became aware of the more obvious tendency that I had then to sort of set aside little areas of well this area is separate from God you know over here I can do what I want like you know maybe my work life that's separate I've got to live by the rules of the world here 
or in other areas of my behavioral addiction you know i didn't bring into mind like sort of the more sort of ethical and moral ideas certainly not the way that i understand them now i I wasn't in a position to bring them to bear but now my understanding is that 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 nothing is exempt you know this um the uh, there's a christian inter- christian interpretation of the word sin as being pleasure sought away from god as if at some points in your life you can sort of go oh, just doing this thing over here now don't worry about that and like and but really from a, when you sort of accept the path everything everything is part of the process the, you know whether it's from an eastern idea of washing up in a conscientious way or a christian idea of being of service or a muslim idea of continual peace something about that though because this is a good marker for somebody let's say a sober person who's just getting in the groove with their 12-step path and they're you know really a few years under their belt or whatever or someone who's just discovered their spiritual practice and has really surrendered to it when you start to have the intuitive pull to be more compassionate, to give more, to serve more in whatever form that comes, I don't care. It could be just that you're nicer to people on the street or that you're, you know, doing philanthropic acts. It doesn't matter, but whatever, when you start to notice that pull, that's actually a marker of your spiritual development. I believe that it's not just, oh, I should be doing this because it's, it's cool and trendy now, but it's a call. When you feel that, I can see that as a different, as as a new phase of development in your in your personal growth. Yeah. When you feel purpose, when you feel called to live with purpose, I wonder how, in a sense, in the the challenge that presents to the kind of apolitical positioning of most. You know, not even I'm not even talking about kind of new age stuff now. I'm talking about the kind of long entrenched tradition of separating religious views from e.g. political views, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that we get into a lot of trouble when we see anything separate from. This is going to sound really heady, okay, but. The, all those forms of separation, whether they be religious or whether they be atheist, however, whatever form of, of, of belief system you bring to the political environment starts to reemphasize more separation. And that separation from a spiritual perspective or a metaphysical perspective is, is just like you were talking about sin. It's separation from God, right? It's, it's separation from the genuine interconnectedness of all beings. And so the big issue that we face right now in, in my country today on the most major level is the belief systems of the separate belief systems of individuals that have caused this explosion of separation, which manifests in racial injustice, which manifests in hate, which manifests in violence, which manifests in a very contentious election that I'm living through in this moment. And so all of that actually is the manifestation of separation, separate thoughts, and separate thoughts that have been grounded in fear, separate thoughts that have been grounded in, in judgment and attack, and anything other, and this is where it gets heady, anything other than love, right? And you might be listening and being like, oh, wah, wah, you know, <laughs> screw this girl. She's just telling you like, you know, oh, we, we're all love and that's who we are. But, but, it, it, but it's the truth. And, and, and when, when we separate from that love, it's, um, it's a beautiful message from A Course in Miracles. It's, it's called the moment that we forgot to laugh. And the moment we forgot to laugh, we separated from that truth of who we are. And we built up all these separate belief systems of, I'm Gabby Bernstein, I'm Russell Brand, I'm this person, I'm a Trump voter, I'm not, I'm this, you know, and all that separation has has caused us to stop focusing on the actual, the actual need, right? Health care, you know, you know, safety in our environment, food, whatever it is, and instead focus on our separate belief systems above all else. Hmm. Thank you. Um, will you tell me some more then about, uh, you said you're going to explain internal family systems, for example. See, this is my internal family systems move. I'm so excited. I feel, I have a sense that this is something that you might start to get into just based on some of our similar interests. But, um, 
IFS therapy. Ooh, okay. So I'll take you back a bit. I've been practicing IFS for, for seven years without even realizing it. So my therapist specializes in IFS and forever she would say to me, you know, she would explain to me that I had these different parts and that we are all multiples. Okay. And we have the, this idea of multiplicity, the idea that, of, you know, multiple personality disorders, it's like this shunned idea, but in fact, we all are, but someone who's just been diagnosed with multiple personality disorder just had such a severe trauma that it got so blown out, blown out so far that they're, they've lost connection to their core self. Right. But we all are functioning as multiples. We've got the little Gabby who was abused as a child. We've got we've got the you know controller part of me that wants to just manage everything, right? We've got the you know the the wife Gabby who you know perceives herself in that way. So we've got all these different parts of ourselves, and I can break it down very simply. There's three parts, okay? There's the exiled parts, and we know that we know those exiles are like the child who was abused. The exiles are the parts of us that are so shameful that we want to do everything we can possibly do to manage them, to anesthetize those wounds, to, to, to shut them down. So then the next part is the managers, the protector parts. So the managers and protectors, for me, let's just give an example. Whenever I feel out of control, my 10-year-old child who, is, who was abused as a child, who felt out of control, who needed to stay safe, steps in, right? She wants to freak out. So instead of her stepping in, this manager, controller, I call her, starts to control everything around her and make sure everybody's doing what they need to be doing so she doesn't have, so little Gabby doesn't have to feel that pain. That's the manager. And then the third one is the firefighter. And anyone who's an addict can recognize their firefighter. It's the part of you that's like, no way, I'm not going to feel this pain. I'm going to pick up that drink right now. And it's just that alarm system that goes off and says, hell no. Let me drink, let me work, let me check out my porn, whatever it is, boom, 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 to just shut it down. So we've got these three different parts, but those three parts have many multiple different personalities that we coexist with. And then to simplify it totally, we all have a core resourced adult self. Russell, your core resourced adult self is the beautiful man who took that splinter out of his child today, right? In that moment, there's nothing more than this adult man who's super resourced, super caring, compassionate, loving with his kid, caring for her, right? So the way, one of the easiest ways to start to recognize and identify our core, core resource self is if you're a parent, you know, you could be like, well, what would I say? Like, what would I say to my kid, Oliver, if, if someone shamed him? Be like, baby, you know, you are amazing. You are magnificent. But that's not what we say to ourselves, no. right? So if you start to notice yourself at any point when you're in that, you know, child part and then the managers are stepping in, if you then start to recognize that that adult resource self is there and can start to lead these other parts as if you were the father of these other parts, right? And say to yourself, like, what would I say to my daughter right now, how would I respond to my daughter and respond to yourself in that way? Then what happens is, is, this is getting a lot in here, but I want to get it in. What happens is all these parts can still coexist, but they're no longer in their extreme roles. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. I was just very taken with how you described that. Gabby and like got a sort of a lot of identification from it and uh, yeah I think that some of the therapy I have um notably with you know Bruce who's that sort of the main therapist I deal with he sort of uses some of that kind of terminology but I was also struck by the obvious corollary between what you were describing and Jungian archetypes particularly like the shamed child and like the kind and the notion of the shadow the sort of unlived unrealized aspects of the self which are dark and scary but from where power can be found if you can you know, get past the dragon i suppose it's put it into a more localized and and therefore perhaps more pragmatic terminology and a sort of a personal myth rather than a kind of 
universal myth where you're talking about the ruler, the trickster, whatever it is in talking, like dealing with, I recognize like in myself, obviously the wounded child aspect of the self and the kind of the set of tools and structures that I've designed in order to ensure the safety. And like even again from a 12 step perspective, Gabby, the you know I, I remember one of the most sort of significant moments in my early recovery was when a therapist at the 12 step treatment center where I got clean said said to me well done you became a drug addict you found a way to survive you found a way well done is such a point such an important point that I think you'll find a lot of relief in and anyone who's an addict can find a lot of relief in this there are no bad parts so the part of you that used in, in whatever form, the parts of us that use in whatever form, they did their best. They did a good job because we, in those moments in our life, could not feel that pain. We were not capable of feeling that pain. And so those parts, they had a role. But all of our recovery and all of our ability, the, all the work that we've been doing to get closer to our core self, whether we realize it or not, has helped us take those parts of ourselves out of the extreme roles of drug addiction and into a role where they can still coexist with us, but not in such an extreme level. And so it's so beautiful about that is that we can say to ourselves, there's nothing, I, I, I'm grateful for my, just like your therapist said, like you did a good job. You got yourself, even that was your only way of getting yourself to safety in the moment. Mm. Yeah, and um, one of my, mentors still sort of uses i guess people use the kind of terminology and linguistic systems that are appropriate for their background or whatever but he said like um you know like when i was having a challenge around i was working on a film like last year and he was saying he goes like your emotions are like the sort of shop floor like like we don't want to do this we ain't doing it and like he goes at some point you have to engage the ceo of yourself who's going to go look we're going in this direction we're doing it although there are probably some political ideas in there to do with unionization and uh, the empowerment of workers that might not hold up to scrutiny from that perspective although he is a working class person from liverpool so uh, you know there, there you go but i, I recognize that i think most significant in what you're saying gabby is the acknowledgement that there is not one distinct self that's a sort of static and immovable unmovable entity i heard recently from the physicist carlo rivelli the theoretical physicist that at the most basic level of reality as we currently understand it there is no static material as such just that all material objects are determined by relationship this compound or this molecular entity only becomes that via its relationship with a secondary or at least different entity i thought perhaps if this is how material reality functions at the most essential level that we can observe in ourselves too there is a kind of mutability a kind of plasticity and an interrelational sort of set of possibilities a super state of possibilities to use a sort of a quantum physical term totally and um the man the the therapist richard schwartz who uh created IFS. His whole premise is that when we treat ourselves from this, so, so when we treat ourselves from this sort of diagnostic place of, okay, you're this one person and you have all these problems that we have to fix, it doesn't allow for the compassionate integration of all those parts. So mm -hmm. as you start to see yourself as a multiple, just all these different parts, and you have this one core adult resource part that can be the leader and can say, you are doing a great job, but maybe you could step aside right now so that I could hear from little, little Russell because he has something to say. And then, you know, when it, when it starts to click into place, I mean, listen, I told you I've been doing this for a long time, this, this practice, but recently it started to click in. It's the most mind-blowing thing on the planet. You're like, 
I can help myself get back to safety in the moment without picking up a drink, without raging on my team, without, you know, having a tantrum like I'm 10. I can just, I can actually resource myself right here in this moment. Yeah, I like that idea. I'm thinking that it sounds like a kind of, again, this is sort of a, an idea that has um, religious and philosophical precedent that it's a kind of uh, supersede whilst I acknowledge what you're saying about integration of the these various elements you've identified when you talk about that sort of uber adult or whatever aspects you've talked about there it's like um, it's like replacing the fragile self-centered ego that's spoken about in some 12-step literature with a kind of manifest self one of the, the books that had most impact on me was written by sort of a Jungian analyst and it's called an encounter with the self and it like talks about the book of Job as being like you know why did God put Job through all this terrible suffering when Job at the beginning of the story is a righteous man already and in this sort of analysis it talks about how that Job's goodness was somehow performative and detached. It wasn't uh, embedded and embodied. This book uses these engravings by William Blake, the English um, sort of poet and genius and artist, uh, to sort of uh, to sort of t- talk through the evolution of Job. And interestingly, the sort of Yahweh, God, and Job sort of look in the in in Blake's engravings are the same you know so like uh, like job is encountering this sort of essentially i suppose a connected self there was a lot of stuff in there gabby that were pretty deep it talks about the behemoth this sort of aspect of our nature that is animal and appetite all appetite you know and a lot of folklore i noticed talks about these appetites and those of us that struggle with addiction recognize appetite because what is craving but appetite wanting 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 it talks also in this um like analysis of the book of job about the uh leviathan the creature of the deep the serpent that's down there in the unconscious that need or, or and and i guess the book is sort of talking about is somewhat talking about integration, even though it's not that never that literal with the Leviathan and the behemoth, these sort of beasts. It's talking about integration because Yahweh tells Job, here is the Leviathan and the behemoth that I created as I created thee. Like that this is this is it. The universe includes these appetites. Being a human being has got an animal in it. It's got a reptile in it. It's got a a, a mouth an endless mouth that just wants and wants and wants and i feel that if our spiritual evolution doesn't acknowledge that these appetites are part of what it is to be a man or a woman or however you identify then we are negating an integral part of our nature and the that means it will be projected it will be projected onto a different caste a different other these people are the animals these people are lazy these people are, you know it becomes a very sort of dangerous phenomenon yes because it's it's when we shun those parts right so when an addict is incarcerated because that's an because of the you know dime bag of weed or whatever right like they're not given they're, they're, you know, they're slapped on the wrist and put into jail and, and never given the opportunity to identify why they were using in the first place. But when we start to receive people, humans ourselves as these multiples, right. And, and seeing all these different, these, these lower level ego vibrations, right. As not wrong, not wrong. We're no longer trying to get rid of those parts. But instead, we're just working with them so they're not as extreme. And in, this, in the case of the ego or spiritual language, you could say something along the lines of, it's not that you abolish the ego. It's just that you don't believe in it anymore. Yeah. Make those adjustments. And if people can start to live from that place of working with these parts, whether it be through, through addiction recovery or whether it be through even a podcast like this or whatever it may be, given the opportunity to work through these parts, you no longer become the victim of your actions, but instead you become the, the leader of your world, right? The leader of your internal system. So, I mean, it's just, I just, you know, we can talk about so much here, but I I just, I just wish that these principles were uh, so much more easily 
acceptable in our in our all of our cultures because man, life is a lot easier when you function from these places. I agree with you. And whilst there's been so much evident progress in the world of medicine and technology and all scientific fields, there's a sort of spiritual stasis and a neglect of our kind of inner complexity. We sort of primarily, in the absence of a explicit spiritual code, are all essentially trying to medicate ourselves using the suggested tools of a culture that has as its apex selling stuff to us. Totally. Yeah. And I like I feel like that part of our gosh, let's call it mission, is to ensure that it becomes normal to have a kind of process by which we tackle these like these challenges and because otherwise we tackle them through consuming you know whether that's an extreme thing like drugs or yeah and i think that's sort of back to what i was saying earlier about the over spiritualizing i don't want to shame anyone who may be like oh no am i over spiritualizing because i actually do think that the trend of spirituality and wellness that you and i have sort of been at this you know witnessing throughout our own personal journeys is isn't a bad thing it's a much better, it's much better to have the trend be, you know, meditating than the trend be partying, right? So it's, it's, it's okay if people have been using their spiritual practice to sort of, you know, numb out or like, that's a step, that's a step in the right direction, but you want to be conscious of it so that you don't just stay there, right? You want, don't want to bypass the deeper work, but sometimes that is really all that you, you can be in at that moment. And I've seen that with a lot of people. And so I just want to acknowledge that because, because it, it, the, the the trendiness of it is a good thing. Right. Yeah, at least it's becoming available and spoken about. Now, you said sort of earlier that probably most people that listen to this podcast have some form of spiritual practice and or, you know, at least a personal program of some kind if they're agnostic or atheist. I wonder, what, where do you recommend that people start out with us with some kind of program or practice people that aren't perhaps coming from a perspective of a severe mental health issue or addiction what what do you suggest that people do to engage with this kind of um term that we're using spirituality it starts with an intention it starts with a moment where you're thinking to yourself well it has to be better than this (laughs) right because that's a prayer that's a prayer and when you set any form of intention to feel better, you are immediately opening up your conscience, your, your consciousness to receive good orderly direction, to receive God's guidance, to receive the podcast that you needed to hear in that moment shows up on your Spotify or shows up as a reminder in your email or whatever. And all of a sudden you're listening to Russell talk about meditating or whatever it is, that's how it works. So I can't say to somebody, oh, go to this website to start your spiritual practice or read this book because the teachers that we will find will be those that will be resonant with us. Yeah. And they're the, the students will, when the student is ready, the teacher is going to pop right up because that's, that's how it works. You become a magnet for what you are conscious of. And so if you say, I am, I am not into this way of living anymore. This blows. I need to feel better. Mm. Boom. All of a sudden, how did that podcast get into my, I can't tell you how many people Russell said to me that my books have fallen off the shelf, fallen off the shelf, right? When they needed it in a bookstore, at a friend's house, falling, like literally falling off the shelf. And I've had so many spiritual interventions like that in my life. When I was um, first becoming a student of A Course in Miracles, I decided to go to the metaphysical bookstore to pick up the course. So I'd been studying, you know, through the mentorship of Marianne, Marianne Williamson. And then I was like, you know, I want to go get this book. This was like 15 years ago. So I walk into this like cute metaphysical bookstore on 14th Street to go get it. And there it is on display on sale. And I pick up the course and all of a sudden my hands got really hot. And this energy, I'm totally serious, pulled me physically to the register. This wasn't so uncommon for me because I'd always sort of felt these spiritual interventions in my life. But that energy pulling me was the same energy 
behind the books falling off the shelf or the podcast showing up in your feed or whatever it is. There is a universal presence of guidance that is available to all of us if we are conscious of it and willing to receive it. Oh, I like the sound of that. You get do can we do can you lead us in a meditation that's tuned us into it a little bit? Definitely. Because <laughs> that will be right up my alley. That's what I need is uh, to be guided towards magnetizing positivity and love. Okay. All right. So let's just gently close our eyes if you're not driving. And place your right hand on your heart and your left hand on your belly. And take a really deep breath into your diaphragm and extend your diaphragm on the inhale. And on the exhale, breathe out through your mouth and just let it all go. Take a deep breath in through your nose and expand your diaphragm. And on the exhale, release out through your mouth. And just continue that cycle of breath. And in this moment now, we welcome the guidance of the highest truth and compassion to enter into this meditation now. We identify any area of our life that feels out of alignment, any specific area where things could be a little bit easier. Maybe they're not working out the way we expected and breathe into that space in your body wherever you may feel that discomfort. And on the exhale, let it go. And breathe in again. And let it go. And we welcome this guidance of this high truth, compassion, and love, whatever form we believe it comes in. We welcome it to enter into our conscious awareness now. And as we inhale, we breathe into whatever feelings we need to experience. And on the exhale, we surrender more and we turn over these feelings and allow them to be transmuted and recycled. Inhale and on the exhale, let it go. Welcoming in the guidance of the highest truth to take from us what we cannot manage anymore. To guide us to protect us, to reveal to us whatever it is that we need to hear, whatever it is that we need to see, whatever it is that we need to read, whatever it is that we need to open up to so that we can develop the parts of ourselves that can wake up to a new sense of calm, a new sense of peace, a new sense of grace. And so take another deep breath in and feel into any lingering feelings of that tension or resistance or discomfort. And on the exhale, let them go. One more deep breath in. And release. And on the exhale, see yourself letting go of this issue, offering it up. And another last deep breath in and release. And we thank all of the guidance of this high truth and compassion for leading our thoughts, leading our intentions, leading our actions, and showing us where to go and what to do and what to say. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Thank you. You're welcome. And you know, that's just my form of an invitation because we can't, nothing can be taken from us unless we are willing to give it away. And so even those simple words of show me what to do, show me where to go. It's an invitation to allow a new level of consciousness to enter into our life in whatever form will relate to us. Yes. Yeah, thank you. That was really beautiful. It's a lovely way to conclude 
this experience together unless there's something that you want to talk about specifically like maybe any of your classes like spirit junkie or your spirit junkie master class or any books are you doing a kundalini yoga book so let me tell you something about that this is an interesting story russell and i was wondering if it would come up so i wrote a book for audible that i was about to submit, I submitted actually right before the pandemic or right the week, the week before the week, we all sort of went into lockdown, but I wrote this book and originally it was based on the five sutras for the Aquarian age. And it was my modern riff on those sutras and how we can apply them in our own lives and my own methods for living those sutras because they're beautiful sutras. And I finished the book and I'm polishing it up and some really disturbing information about Yogi Bhajan comes to the surface. And you can include this or not. I don't know if you decide that you want to put this in or not. I don't know what your feelings about this are because we both have been very touched by the technology of Kundalini and it's been very important for both of us. So I understand how um, painful it might be for, for you as it was for me to sort of have what was revealed revealed. So I looked at the manuscript and I was like, oh shit, you know, I'm gonna, like, what do I do now? And I looked at the manuscript and I was like, oh no, I don't have to change a word of this except for the sutras, right? Except for the messages. I have to make these messages, the, the, the actual message, my message. But every word in that book was my own way of practicing and living by these principles. And so I rewrote the book and I added a sixth message, which is called You Are the Guru. And the message there is just that you can't rely on anybody else to be your guru. You can't let Russell be your guru. You can't let Gabby Bernstein be your guru. You can't let Deepak Chopra be your guru. We are not your gurus. We're just translators. We're just messengers. We're just teachers. And your work is to awaken to the presence of the teacher within you. Because if you make an idol of anyone, when that idol falls, you fall with them. Mm. And so that message of just really claiming that we have the answers our core adult resource self has the ability to support us, to guide us, to protect us. When we surrender our fears over like we did in that meditation, there is a guidance system that will be presented to us that we don't have to rely on any other human to have the answers for us. We can allow guidance from those humans to be presented, but we do not make them an idol. And so... Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Thank you. That that really makes sense. Well, I hope everything goes well with you in your lockdown over there. And uh, I pray that your everything goes well with your uh, current quest for um, pregnancy and stuff. And I'm sending Thank you so you. much I love. Everything goes well with my current election situation happening today. We'll say a prayer for that as well. Um, for all of us. <laughs> yes. May the best outcome be reached. That's right. Whatever is of the highest good. <laughs> um, <laughs> um it, it's really nice to meet you you're fabulous and um and, thank and you Gabby. so great and i listen to the podcast all the time it's so it's so beautiful thank you for everything thank you i feel the same way about you thank you very much well did you enjoy that episode of under the skin from luminary with me russell brand and especially gabby bernstein let me know what you thought of it on instagram you can skin tag me at russell brand or you can tweet me at rusty rockets uh, with the hashtag under skin i'll know what you mean won't i and if you want to ask me a question go to russellbrand.com and find that ask me anything and that uh, your question will be a thing why don't we do it for the next few weeks let's do one this year okay be great won't it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh if you like we're back next week with another podcast who's it going to be is it Tim? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a podcast Minchin. with Tim next week. Tim Minchin. Tim Minchin next week. <laughs> and I've done it already and it was lovely. He's extremely... It's the best one. Jenny says, whatever. Uh, it's up there. What about Al Gore? No. That oh. wasn't one of the best ones. What about Frankie Boyle? He was really good. I love Frankie Boyle. Yeah. What about... <laughs> Jordan Peterson? Oh, man. Jordan, JP. They're one of the best ones. They're great. What about... <laughs> Someone, uh, Simon Amstel was good. Yeah. I want Sean Hawthorne, my teacher from back in the day. Yep. You, know, you know I used to go to university? When you dropped it. Let's not get bogged down in the details. <laughs> I was a university fellow student. <laughs> Let's get her on, Sean Hawthorne. 
Anyway, I'm probably going to get ordained as a vicar. That is what? this... What? I'm thinking of getting ordained. No. Yeah. And then I'll be a priest. And then no, you'll you won't all... be a priest. I will be. How can I not be if I am one? No, you have to go up to preschool. You can do it online now. COVID. So... <laughs> You listen, Jen. What religion? I've not worked out. Look, don't get bogged down in the minutiae. Probably Anglicanism. Anglicanism. That's the one I'm into. Hmm. And then I'll be, I'll be able to wear the outfit. Hello. Yeah. Why? It'll be too restrictive for you. You won't like it. What around the neck? But yeah. what the thing is, Jen. <laughs> once I'm a vicar, what I say goes. Mm. No, yeah? because you can't judge people. Lest I be judged. That's from the Bible, which I know because I'm a vicar now. So once old Russ is ordained, I tell you Who's what. Who's ordaining you? Be probably the Archduke of Canterbury. Well, Bishop <laughs> of Canterbury. <laughs> It'll be the Archduke of Canterbury. Probably, won't it? One of those guys. They're bound to. They see talent like this at vicar school. I'll rise to the top. I'm the cream of the crop. Yep. No. Uh, yeah, Jen, <laughs> I can do it. You, you just can't do a give cool... communion, though, can you? Oh, that's not the Protestant. I can do a Eucharist. Can you do a Eucharist? If I knew what it was, I could. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, there's nothing to stop me. Vicar school. Yep. Yeah. I and was then a I'll... faith friend once. Uh-huh. I was a faith friend. What does that mean? I had to help someone through their communion process. Ugh. Fancy having you as a faith friend. <laughs> Hi, how's your thing? <laughs> I've got four guitars back at the home and a piano too. What did you do for your faith friend? I just had to go through what the communion meant with them in dun, the community dun, dun, school. Dun. I got to go to mass every week. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could be your no. faith friend? <laughs> so you were someone's faith friend. Yeah. Did they pass their communion or yeah. did it go terribly wrong because they'd I not been schooled properly? No, it's fine. What a disaster, Jen. All right, keep checking the YouTube channel. Stay with us on Under the Skin, and I assure you that in spite of our jocund and frivolous tone, nothing is more important to me than creating some sort of global confederacy of awakened people to change the world through peaceful revolution. All right, thanks for that. Under the Skin from Limnery. <laughs>